Hello and welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church Essentials Podcast with your host, Senior Pastor John Sauer. Hello and welcome to Stonebridge Essentials. I am Pastor John, the Senior Pastor of Stonebridge Community Church. And in Stonebridge Essentials, we are looking at three essentials of the Christian faith as defined and described by John Calvin, the Reformed theologian. And this summer, we're focusing on the life and work of Jesus, but with a special emphasis on Jesus' resurrection, because the resurrection of Jesus is the foundational claim of Christian faith. This claim of the resurrection, this is what everything else rests on, it's what describes everything else, and everything else is used to describe it. And without the resurrection, as the Apostle Paul says, we are the greatest of fools, us Christians. So last week, we focused on the claim that the Gospels are based on eyewitness testimony. And I talked about how a lot of the details that you would expect from an eyewitness testimony are there. That these details, they don't prove the resurrection happened, but they give the Gospels the air of authenticity. That details you would expect, things like what the Sea of Galilee is called, reflect that the writers of the Gospels were there in the location they claimed to be in and around the time that they claimed to be in. And I only gave a few examples, but there's actually many more. This week, I want to talk about some of the contradictions in the Gospels, because people will say that the Gospels have contradictions, that they don't all agree on things. And because of that, then that lends the air of inauthenticity, that because they can't agree on the story, that means that they weren't telling the truth. So I want to begin by just acknowledging something that is simply a fact. By our definition of the word contradiction, there are contradictions in the Gospels. There are claims that the Gospels make that we can't really reconcile without doing mental gymnastics. For instance, if I were to ask you the question, when did Jesus overturn the tables in the temple? In relationship to his ministry, was it at the beginning of his ministry or at the end of his ministry? Your answer would depend on which gospel you were reading. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that Jesus overturned the tables when he went into Jerusalem for the last time at Holy Week. They have Jesus overturning the tables at the end of his ministry. But for the Gospel of John, Jesus overturns the tables at the beginning of his ministry. It's actually the first public thing that Jesus does in the Gospel of John. So there's a three-year gap between when John claims Jesus overturned the tables and when Matthew, Mark, and Luke claim that they overturned the tables. Some have tried to say, well, the resolution to this is that Jesus overturned the tables twice, that he did at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. But then the problem with that is all four of the Gospels then are inaccurate because all four of them only have Jesus overturning the tables one time. If he did it twice, then they should have him doing it two times. So, this is a contradiction. They, they contradict each other, and it's okay to admit that. 
This isn't the only time that they contradict each other. When you look at the resurrection appearances, it's agreed upon that Mary Magdalene was there at the resurrection of Jesus, that she was the first one to witness the empty tomb and the first one to say that Jesus was raised from the dead. But the Gospels have different explanations of who was there with her. Sometimes she's by herself. Sometimes she's with a certain group of companions. Sometimes she's with other companions. They don't all get accurately who was there with Mary. So we have to acknowledge there are contradictions. But rather than these contradictions giving the Gospels the air of inauthenticity, I think they actually give the Gospels more authenticity. And here's why. One reason is it's actually kind of twofold, and they these two reasons will lay on top of each other, basically. They, they support each other. The, the first reason is if you're trying to make up a story and you're trying to lie and you're trying to pull a fast one on people, then what you're going to do is get together with a few people and make sure you all have the same story, that you're all pushing the same narrative. The Gospels don't do that. The fact that there's four different versions of Jesus's life, it means that they weren't trying to get together to collude on the story. It means that these stories were spreading and they were developing and they were being changed as they were told. They were being stylized. They were being structured in certain ways. Different emphases about Jesus' life were being lifted to the surface in different gospels. But as these stories spread, they shifted and morphed. So what we don't see is what you would expect of some sort of conspiracy. What we don't see is people sitting down, making sure they got every single detail the same and that they all told exactly the same story. They don't have the same exact talking points. To me, that means that there were simply a lot of people spreading these stories very early on. A lot of people who earnestly believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead wanted other people to do that, and they were putting the story of Jesus' resurrection into a form that conveyed the truths that they learned about Jesus. So, to me, that's where I think it makes more sense. Eyewitness testimony, it doesn't always get every single detail accurate. It gets a lot of details accurate, like I talked about last week. But it doesn't get everything accurate. If it's honest and if it's true, human beings are going to note different aspects of a story. They're going to lift up different parts of a story. They're going to structure things in a story differently. And particularly when we're talking about ancient history, this was common practice as well. So that's one reason why the contradictions, they just don't bother me. Because it feels more true. It feels more like these are earnest people trying to tell a story they really believe, making sure that it's passed down as best as they can, but also stylizing it, structuring it, 
to show us different aspects of Jesus' personality. The second reason that I don't think the contradictions bother me is because they very clearly did not bother the early church. We have to keep in mind that we have four Gospels. If these contradictions really bothered the early church, they would have just compiled the four Gospels into one Gospel. They would have rewritten it all. But they didn't do that. We know they didn't do that because somebody actually tried to do that. There's a, a book. We don't really have it today, but we have accounts talking about it. But back in the early years of the church, 100 or 200 years into the church's history, somebody tried to take all four Gospels and put them into one document, tried to harmonize them all. It's called the Diatessaron. So they tried to pull these four documents together into one, and the early church rejected that. The early church said, no, we have four Gospels, with all of their distinctions, with all of their contradictions, with the fact that they don't tell the same story perfectly, we still have four different Gospels, and each one of these Gospels is important to understanding who Jesus is. The earliest church wasn't bothered by any sort of contradictions in the Gospels, and they knew. It wasn't like they couldn't read. They could look at it, and they could say, well, John has Jesus turning the tables over at the beginning of his ministry, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke has Jesus turning them at the end of his ministry. They could read that, and they could see. They knew that the witnesses with Mary Magdalene were different in each one. They knew this, but it didn't bother them. Because here's the last reason the Gospels don't really bother me. When we're looking at biblical books, we have to take into account the intent of the author as best as we can perceive it. And we don't know exactly what these authors were intending. We can look at what the words were, but we don't know exactly what they were intending. But we can get a good enough approximation and with the Gospels, we look at it, and it's really clear to me. The Gospels are trying to help us understand that Jesus was raised from the dead, that that was their intent, that that's really where they start. All four of the Gospels get to the passion of Jesus, and all four of the Gospels slow down and then focus on Jesus' resurrection. That's the point of these books. That's actually what I think they started with, and then they went back and they talked about Jesus' life built, building up to the resurrection so that we could understand what Jesus' priorities were. So each gospel is intending to teach us about Jesus' resurrection and to teach us about what Jesus' teaching was so that we can follow. The intent of the gospels, I don't believe, was to get every single sequence accurate. That type of accuracy of on day one, Jesus did this, on day two, Jesus did this, on day three, Jesus did this. That's not the type of writing that the gospels are. Instead, the type of accuracy the gospels are shooting for is one that accurately des describes how Jesus was raised from the dead, the fact that he was raised from the dead, and that accurately describes who Jesus was to us who Jesus is 
to us. That's the point of the Gospels. I mean, the Gospel of John says this is written so that we will believe. The Gospels are very much biased documents, but that doesn't mean they're not truthful. People oftentimes have bias because they believe something is true. That doesn't mean that they're lying. It doesn't mean that they're wrong necessarily. We have to look at the facts. We have to look at other things. And it's okay to say that the gospel writer's intention, what they intended was to help us believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then it's also okay to say that what they intended was not to write history as we write history today. The ancient world just didn't write history in the same way we did. They stylized things differently. They structured things differently. And that's okay. Because the early church took these four documents with all their contradictions, with all their distinctions, with all their differences, took them, put them all together really into one document, and said, this is the best way that we can learn about Jesus. All four of these. And they weren't bothered by any contradictions internally, and I'm not either. Because at the end of the day, the big picture is very clear in the Gospels. Jesus was raised from the dead. Because of that, we have hope that we too will be raised from the dead. And because of that, we should follow what Jesus says and help other people have hope that he was raised from the dead also. So, that's how I address the contradictions in the Gospels. I don't think it's new. What I'm saying isn't novel. Um, This is actually how Christians have been addressing these contradictions for thousands of years now. And the Gospels still have stood the test of time. So don't be afraid of those contradictions. Don't be afraid that they somehow mean the Gospels aren't accurate or the Gospels aren't truthful. If anything, those contradictions lend credibility to the fact that the Gospels weren't a conspiracy, that the Gospels don't come from one top-down structure trying to establish one narrative. Next week, we're going to be wrapping this up and talking about what the resurrection means for our lives. So, God bless you all, and look forward to talking with you next week. 